Good evening. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our spotlight is on personal transformation. I just read a book called Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, a powerful guide to transformation through disentangling multi-generational patterns by Judy Wilkins-Smith. She's renowned in this work, an author, motivational speaker, consultant to Fortune 500 companies, and it offers guidance on how to decode your emotional DNA and shift the unconscious inherited patterns that are no longer serving you. This is an awesome topic, and we're going to get right to it. Judy and I are coming at you right now. First of all, I want to welcome you to the show. I love this book. I, I read it, and I actually put it on Audible, too, so I could listen to some key points and go back over some things. And it's called Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, A Powerful Guide to Transforming Through Disentangling Multigenerational Patterns. And I really I want to welcome you to the show, Judy. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be with you today. Thank you so much. And I think this is a timely book because um, the epigenetics that are so um, looked at now is something that really in the past people, most people, have ignored. Your environment, you know, how things uh, affect you uh, emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And that makes up all of us. Uh, we want to know our background. We know our family and our family's family. And people are doing these genealogy things. And But your environment and epigenetics and whatnot are very important. Can you talk to us about uh, what got you into this type of work? Actually, a very odd thing got me into this type of work. My father was killed. And I started writing books. It was either write books or go crazy, so I chose writing books. And I was doing the research for one of the books, and this popped up. And the person who was already doing some of this work said to me, if you come and study the work, I'll help you with the book. So I went and studied the, the work and got zero help with the book, just by the way. But oh <laughs> um, it, kind of, it kind of launched me into this. And then I think about... A good five years into what I was doing, somebody said to me, well, of course you'll know what you're doing. And I said, why? And they said, because it originated in South Africa with the Zulus. I didn't know that. But the intriguing thing about that was I was actually in the medical field before I moved over here. And when I left, the person who gave my farewell speech was a Zulu person. And he said, you will. You may be leaving us, but you will find ways to represent us in the world. And I laughed. And of course, now I do it every day. Wow, that's really powerful. Um, you said that um, your father was killed. I'm sure that affected you in some way. And there are things that you carried from having to experience something like that. Uh, was that also part of it? You know, uh, yeah, and not, and not consciously, but when I look at it, what happened for me was I developed a fear, and bear in mind I came from the healthcare arena, but developed a fear around doctors and medicine and didn't know why. Well, my father was killed in medicine or because of medicine. So was my grandfather and so was my uncle. 
Oh, my heavens. And so there was clearly a pattern. And um, I think that also very much tweaked my interest and got me looking at so I could then also be scared of medicine, which I still carry a certain degree of apprehension about. But here's the elegant piece. And the universe is super elegant and so are patterns. My daughter is a physician. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, how much more do you get than that? You know, here's here's the poison and here's the antidote, basically in, in one package. But you've got to learn to choose that. And it's been a process for me learning to choose to trust medicine because medicine, I mean, I grew up in it is a very good thing. But there was one event that set that off and set me into a state of fear. And it wasn't just my fear that I was carrying. It was my father's and my grandfather's and my uncle's. And so it was time to say we have to do this differently. I need to put this down. I need to acknowledge it, absolutely. But also acknowledge this isn't my pattern. It doesn't belong to me. And there's something I can do that's better with this. I have a daughter who's a really good physician. And I can learn to trust through her. So it was kind of walking it back again. Um, and, and then saying, well, if, if I can trust, it means she also doesn't have to get into those patterns, even though she is a medic. But she doesn't have to fear either. So it's not just changing my pattern that changes the whole meaning of what happened. It's also changing it for those who come after me. Wow. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying is true. My mom lost her mom in childbirth, and she always kept saying that she wasn't going to live past a certain age because of it. Right, right. And it's interesting because in, in systemic work, a childbirth is sometimes, see, or, or a mother who dies in childbirth, rather, has a very complicated pattern because if you, was your mom the one who was born when her mom died? No, it was her brother. Okay. So here's your little brother. What we sometimes see with that is the one who was born when the mother died can sometimes carry a degree of guilt or don't feel like they're, they're worthy to be living. Uh, your, your mother, yes, picked up the idea that I can only live to a certain age. Not true. But um, we do that to ourselves, and I'll talk a bit about that. But the brother is the one who, sta- who is at risk of going, was it my fault? And then mm-hmm. may struggle later with a woman because he's too scared that he'll get someone pregnant and she could die. So you see this, this peace happen in relationships, which is really difficult. For your mom, though, it's to, to really understand this is not her fate. That belonged to someone else. But what she's doing is she's taking it on as though it were hers. And that's where we see that inheritance. So we get that emotional DNA thing going from generation to generation. Exactly. And then when we add to that, if the brain tells the body a story that the body believes, that becomes our truth. And we do this all day long. You do something and go, I'm so stupid. How could I do that? You're such an idiot. And the body reacts. We sweat. we're, We're nervous. We're upset. Because the body believes what the brain is telling us. The opposite is also true. When we look at a pattern and go, that's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It's time to change it. Oh my goodness, look what I can do. And we give ourselves enough of a story with an elevated emotion. And the body goes, yes. 
that's when we begin creating a new truth that is helpful. You know, it's interesting. I was reading um, a story. Um, it was actually in a medical, um, I don't know who was a journal, but they were talking about um, elderly men that they put in a study. And they're about 70 years old. They weren't too overly ill. Uh, they were in a nursing facility, but they put them in a ward with nothing but photos of themselves and others at maybe 30 years younger, 40 years younger. Yes, yes. And after that study, I think it was a good six months or something, they actually went back and, and evaluated the men, and some had started exercising. That's right. Has started yeah. dress, dressing better, grooming better. Um, it, your environment does affect you. And I, I have friends that say, oh, no, no, you can thrive in any type of environment. But why is that? It, it just to a degree, yeah. But why is that true? Because in some uh, people, environment is everything. You know, you can put somebody in a, um, a rundown neighborhood, and I guess it with will. And with what they are studying, even if they have to go to the next neighborhood to study and find A students or whatever, uh, they'll thrive. Others will pick up the patterns of that yes, environment. Exactly. And this is and yeah, pass that it's on. all about it's all about the choices we are making. And it's huge. Um, you have two people in an accident, both paralyzed from the waist down. One says, My life is over and that's it. The other one says, oh, I have my life's purpose. It's the choice that we make. Now, bear in mind, a lot of the choices are multi-generational. Your mother says, your, your great-grandmother says, um, you can't trust a man because great-grandfather goes off to war and drops dead. What she's really saying is, you've got to be self-sufficient because if the guy drops dead, you need to be able to do something. But out of her mouth comes, you can't trust a man. Well, grandmother says, yep, can't trust a man, so she divorces every man that comes into her orbit. Mom says you can't trust a man, and she has several marriages. You're looking at the love of your life, and you're going, oh, my goodness, I love this. Yeah, no, no, you can't trust a man. So what you've got to look at is when you're making a choice or when you're looking at something, whose words, thoughts, and feelings are you using? And the way to tell it apart is this. If you are really frustrated or irritated and you keep bumping into the same brick wall, the chances are that's a multi-generational pattern, multi-generational thoughts and feelings and actions. If you're at the stage where you're going, you know what, I just see the possibility. Look what I could do here. Oh, my goodness. And you're making good chemistry with yourself between your brain and your body. Now, you're no longer reliving ancient history. You're creating a powerful cur a, a current situation, and you're also changing what looked like to be an inevitable future. Wow. Is there scientific evidence where these epigenetic uh, studies um, can be read? Because that's what my, my audience is going to say. Where's the yep. science in this? <laughs> And I love your audience for asking that question. It's the reason, I think it's chapter three or four in my book is entirely dedicated to the science. But here goes. So with epigenetics, 
There are three major studies. One is done on 9-11. It's the most recent, where they, they studied women who were pregnant with children at the time of, of 9-11, and they discovered that they had elevated markers on their, their cells um, for uh, PTSD. And the children do too. So in other words, they've activated those markers, but the children have also, it's been passed down. We also know that there are studies of the Great Dutch Hunger Winter, and that was when an entire Netherlands town was encircled by the Nazis, and they were cut off. They, they received no water and no food for three months, and they, they basically lived off what they could find. And they studied that population for four generations. So they, they discovered that the women had developed eating disorders, uh, the pregnant women, so did the wow. children, and their children's children, and their children's children's children. And in the Holocaust, you see the same kind of patterns echoing through. So these are wow. well-studied and scientifically well-documented. Wow. Oh, that's, that's really powerful. So when people make judgments on other people, uh, whether they be poor whether they be, you know, any drug addicts, drug addicts, anything, that can be because of uh, genetics to a degree. And genetics, yeah, it sure can. It sure mm -hmm. can. My mother said all these people were bad, so all these people are definitely bad. Wow. And how did you get through her um, misinformation and or... Education. I'm, I'm saying, for example, my, we would say my mother said. So what you've got to look at is, so what was happening to your mother at the time? Was mm -hmm. this true or was it not? What happened to her mother? You want to find the originating event that may have caused someone to say, all these people are bad. Because there is an originating event. And what happens is we have an originating event the event causes you to have thoughts and feelings and actions, and then those become patterns and mindsets, and in time those become the truth. Only they're not the truth, they're your truth, and you can change those anytime you want. And this is the power of this work, as well as its, its 3D aspect, is once you start realizing that in your hands is literally the current and the future, nothing is the same again. And when you actually see it in 3D where you can walk through it and you can see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, feel it, and have that embodied experience of your system or of an issue, everything begins to change. Neurologically, what happens is you start rewiring your brain. One thought, one feeling, one action at, the t at a time. So now you're using neuroscience to lay down new neural pathways and activate new neural networks. And you notice yourself. You, somebody, the doctor comes in and says to you, okay, if you don't stop smoking today, you're a dead man in three months. Wow. And you put that cigarette down that quickly, right? Why? Mm -hmm. Because this is life or death. So what happens to you? You go, no, my life is worth more than this. And your whole process is, today I won't smoke. Today I won't smoke and I feel really good about that. Today I won't smoke and I feel a little scared about that. Today I won't smoke but this is my life. And you start telling yourself new thoughts, new feelings, and you take new actions. 
you start walking, you start running, you start eating better. That happened because you made a choice and you began to rewire your brain. And we are able to do that all day long and any time we choose. There is no age limit. Awesome. You say that this work can not, is not only emotional in looking at uh, your family background because you just mentioned that your daughter's a physician. I find many people who have health issues or parent has health issues, they come become psychiatrists. Or uh, I know one of my friends who was so moved by watching both of his great grandparents and uh, grandparents uh, going to dementia. He went into studying aging. You know, right. why does this happen? And uh, it goes into a career choice. So talk about that. Very, very much. And in fact, I'm glad you you brought up my daughter because my daughter is my adopted daughter. I Mm -hmm. knew her biological mother and her biological mother died of breast cancer at the age of 28. And my daughter said she knew from the age of three or four when her mother got sick. I don't ever, it's, it's actually startling. I don't ever want a daughter, another daughter, to almost lose a mother because nothing was done. And here's the really interesting part with that. And she said to me she's worked her whole life to make sure that other daughters don't have mothers who get sick because the information wasn't there or because they didn't do something. Because in her mother's case, she was pregnant with her brother and she refused treatment. But my daughters always said, no, women have got to know that they have an option and the doctors have got to be there to help them so that they are okay. And recently this year, we found that I had a, a medical situation and my daughter picked it up. And had wow. she not picked it up, and so it was interesting, her comment was, oh my goodness, Mom, I'm the daughter that I've been working for. Wow. Yes. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. And that's why you can have um, not only a bunch of lawyers in the family, a bunch of doctors in the family, um, you can even skip generations and have that um, eclectic person that doesn't follow any path in the family. Uh, I found that out. You know, I, I know a, a family of uh, almost everybody's a doctor except for that one person. And they were just like, where did this come from? Everybody's a doctor. Why is she doing what she's doing? Well, she's following her great-grandfather's, uh, they call it great-grandfather's spirit, you know, because he became an artist, too. <laughs> and she did also not know saying, that. <laughs> exactly. And, and oftentimes in exactly that situation, grand, great-grandfather or grandfather wasn't spoken about because... He was the odd duck. Now, the one you exclude in one generation will show up in another generation because systems do not like exclusions. So anyone or anything or any secret that is excluded in one generation will keep showing up until it is seen and remembered and re-hyphen-membered into the system. Wow. Now, your type of work, how does it help people um, with their careers or their, their you know, maybe um, changing paths in terms of entrepreneurship, et cetera? How does your, your work help in that? So in terms of entrepreneurship, you often find that people are a little scared of that step out 
because some part of them knows they're the change agent, but then they suffer from uh, pioneers, at least um, imposter syndrome, which actually is inaccurate. It's more accurately pioneer push. So it's not that you're an imposter. It's that you don't have the answers, but neither does anyone else, and you're willing to go and look for them. And what it asks is, do you want to do the same as everyone else, or are you the change agent? And if you're the change agent, are you willing to follow your path so that the system can expand? And yes, by the way, I use it. I use it a lot. I uh-huh. am an executive coach um, to Fortune 500 and Fortune 50 C-suite executives. So what we do is, they will often come to me and either say they're stuck, or they'll say, "I'm ready to go to the next level." Help. And so what we do is we do a deep dive into their family system and their career and see how each is in service of the other, how the choice was made, and what from the family system is trying to become something stronger as a leader or wasn't developed. And now as a leader, you need that. When you are stepping out, so to speak, and not following the path of your peers, your family, um, Forget just the voices in your head. It's your whole environment. And I know many people, uh, when I went to start doing this, it started out as just a business mastermind of six people. And then it expanded, and it kept expanding. And the people around me at that time were saying, well, who are you? Um, Why are you doing this? I mean, you know, you're crazy. (laughs) And oh, yeah. I know so many people, and I know you've probably gone through it too, where you have that same thing uh, going on where people listen to those outside forces. And then those outside forces of, of what they say about you, peers and whatnot, um, because you're transforming, are stuck in your head. Now, 1% or 3% of those people will go on and be successful and just ignore and or put those aside or change environments. But you've got the other 97% that says, you know, maybe mom's right. Uh, maybe maybe my friends are right. Maybe this isn't for me or maybe I should just stop this. And I've seen people stop in mid-dream or completely put away an entrepreneurial path, you know, because Absolutely. of what's in their head. You've seen it. I've seen it. I see it all the time. Yeah, because this is exactly the work that I do. You've got to, if you want to go and be successful at something, you've got to build enough weight on the want to overcome the weight of the multi-generational patterns. But once you see those multi-generational patterns and you know what's living in your system, it becomes a whole lot easier, which is exactly why I use the 3D approach that I do. Because then people can see it firsthand. They can literally see it, feel it, touch it. And once they have that shift, it becomes much easier to understand where the voices are coming from, who they belong to, and then instead to begin filling your library with the voices that will pull you forward. Wow. And we need those voices to continue to help us move forward if we're going to completely fulfill really our destiny. Um, yep. And then in identifying empowering entrepreneurial patterns we've inherited. Um, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I've had entrepreneurs in the family. On my mom's side, it's very strong. 
And on my dad's side, it's strong. On one side, they took that entrepreneurial path to be extraordinarily successful. On the other side, they were extraordinarily successful, but undervalued what they had to give. Ooh, yes, and that's common. And so what you sit then and sit with then is somebody who will be really pretty successful, but keep undercharging, underselling, underrepresenting who they are out of loyalty to those. And what you've got to do is look at those ones and go, you were so successful, but you couldn't take it all the way. Watch me as I do. Wow. What, what, what's in, I guess that goes back to the DNA of what's going on in that person's head. When I would give, um, a, a, a look at some of the artwork that this ancestor did, they were like, wow, how much do you want for that? And I'm like, oh, I'm not selling it. They're like, well, I'll give you $5,000 for it. I was like, wow, if they were still alive, my ancestor would really be like, Jumping for joy. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. But they didn't see the value. And I, I well, somebody that. told them they couldn't. Mm. Don't forget, if you can't see your value, there's a voice that comes from somewhere that says you're not worth that. Or who do you think you are? Or why are you doing that? Or you're crazy to follow your dream. And so they go, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And I know I'm good at it, but obviously it's not worth much. So they're selling well, themselves that, that piece. And with people who are starting out in business anywhere, really, rule of thumb is go and have a look at who's the best. Get really good. Go and have a look at who's the best and what they charge and sit maybe just a touch underneath that. But for heaven's sake, don't undersell yourself. I did that. It cost me a lot of money when I did that. I t I, somebody asked me if I would send in a proposal as an executive coach. And then came back to me and said, gosh, we wanted to go with you, but we thought you were better. And I mean, I said, what? And they said, yeah, we realized when you, when you sent us the amount that you would charge that you weren't the top tier. People look at money and they look at worth. Say that again. That is so powerful because I know too many people who consult, too many people who yep. have a product and then they're upset because they either can't get in a store or a boutique that they want. And they know, hey, I know my stuff would look great in this boutique. And they're like, well, what did you say that, you know, your your, your product was worth? Or somebody who's, a, um, you know, a, a speaker or whatnot, and they're upset that they cannot be on the stage of a, a TEDx or whatever or whatever right. big name. And they can't get the money. And I'm like, well, what were you charging? Oh, $3,000. That's not going to cut it. Nobody, nobody else is going to hire you for that if you really want to make money. Now, let me just be clear. Are you saying they were too expensive? No, they were too exactly. cheap. Exactly. Way too and that's cheap. What you've, exactly. And that's what you've got to tell people because people think if I'm cheap, they will hire me. Wrong. Here's, here's a beautiful explanation for that. If you walk into the doctor's office, and you say to them, I've got a terrible pain on my right side. It really hurts. It's throbbing. It's just awful. And he says, well, let me have a look. And you hop up on the exam table. And he has a look. He says, you know what? Pretty sure this is your appendix. Um, I think we must make a plan to get you in quite soon. Um, to, um, I should be able to take care of this for you. 
and you'll be on your feet in about a week or two. I'm going to charge you five bucks. Are you going to that doctor? I'm not going there. I'm running. I'm running for my life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm going to run. When we don't have a good sense of our worth, everybody else supports our lack of sense of worth, and they go, okay, I'm not coming either. And another thing in this uh, that has a lot to do with this, a lot of people give away freebies. Uh, they'll give away all these free sessions, or they will uh, do a whole bunch of voluntary things thinking that it's going to pull in, you know, clientele, et cetera, or give away a product. or And I don't mean, you know, a, a, a PDF. I'm talking about a product. And they think that, right. and then they're disappointed that they can't, you know, well, the people took the product, but they didn't take you. And um, you wonder, they wonder, what, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with free? Uh, free says, um, I don't value it much. It's not worth terribly much. So have this, and if you've got some time, you might want to look at it. Now, all wow. of that is just takes you down the toilet. If you have some time, you might want to look at it. This is for free. Obviously not worth much. Here, go have this junk. So, yes, there are times when a freebie is a very good thing. If you're drawing attention because you want a lot of people to, to notice where you are and who you are, that's great. But you can only do that for so long before, unfortunately, people are going to think, well, she doesn't think she's worth much. Clearly, she's not very good at what she does. Yeah, next <laughs> Whoa. Your work and what you do, you've worked with uh, Fortune 500 companies. I know you have a wonderful um, opportunity coming up for people to see you in the world of Disney. Can you tell us about what you'll be doing? Absolutely. So at Disney World, and that's actually next week, so anybody who wants to, no, it's not next, is it next week? Yeah, it is. It's next week starts Thursday. Uh, so anybody who wants to hop on board has got to be pretty quick at this point, but we can still make the magic, so don't worry. I'm teaching capability and resilience DNA. And so it's really looking at where is your capability and resilience, or lack thereof, where did it come from, how does it affect you, how do we build that in in a way that really supports you, and how do you come out flying and ready to, to be recession-proof or whatever-proof. Um, and this is what we do in 3D. So it's a lot of interactive work. It's highly interactive. Uh, in the morning, I, I talk a little bit about what we're doing. Then we get into groups, and there are exercises for that. And then in the afternoon, we do what we call constellations, which is that 3D work. And, and everybody gets a chance to have a piece of work done. But side note, even if you're not having your piece of work done, you will get pieces of work by watching other people's too. So that is going to be at the Beach and Yacht Club at Disney World from November the 10th through the 13th. We do a lot of deep dive during the day, so from 8 until 4, and then from 5 until park close, you're in the park. So park tickets are included. And the reason for that is I want them to go in and have a look at the capability and the resilience that goes into making Disney World Disney World. Walt Disney was somebody who never, ever gave up. And his capability, and boy, if he didn't have resilience, 
If he didn't have resilience, we wouldn't have Mickey Mouse. Everybody thinks it began with a mouse. In fact, that's a very popular saying. It didn't. It began right. with Lucky Oswald, the rabbit, which you see that's right. hearing you know. Yeah. And he almost had a nervous breakdown because they poached Lucky Oswald and took him away. And on the way back, he, I think he was sitting on a train and he was doodling. And out came this mouse and he said to his wife, look at this a funny little mouse. His name's Mortimer. And his wife said, you can't call a mouse Mortimer. His name is Mickey. Oh, <laughs> And yeah. it's true. And so it's all, yes, it's all about resilience, resilience and capability. And you build that one thought, one feeling, one action at a time. Now, the beauty of this is once you've done this particular event, you've now, you're cracking the code. You understand what your, your emotional DNA is, where to find it, how to reframe it, and how to use it. And people who come to the Disney events, in fact, people who come to just about all the events that we offer, will tell me, this has changed for me what I couldn't do in 20 years in four days. Wow. You know, it's interesting. You are... Uh, I had just um, interviewed um, a musician who wrote a song or began writing it 60 years ago. He was a kid. It was oh, wow. just released. It was just released. And I asked him, I said, what took so long? He said, just getting the last stanza of the song and then the group that I was with told me that this is going to go nowhere in fact he said the group broke up because not just of the song they weren't happy with the other material that they were given and it was the urging of his kids and grandkids they said this is great why don't you release this why don't you finish it (laughs) you know and um, he said you know I got nothing to lose well, now it's up on the Internet, and um, people are liking it. So they're going to go in and, and make an MP3 and put it up for sale. So, you know, you've, you've got people who have been in an environment or around people who just, I mean, you just mentioned Disney. Walt Disney never lived to see Walt Disney World. That's right. He, that's he never right. lived it. He that was his dream before Disneyland. Um, he wanted a Walt Disney World, and they built they the the they of course the first one was Disneyland, and then that went through a bunch of stops and starts before it even right. opened actually. So uh, yeah, he he had a lot of stops and, and and many people on their ways to success have had the stops and the starts. They have. It's the one who keeps going. Now, with Disney, two interesting pieces is people who know me know that I'm an uber Disney person. That started when I was about nine and Walt died. And I was sitting in the car at the time and I burst into tears and I said, well, now who's going to make the magic? And nobody answered and I said, well, then I will. And Disney's been around me ever since. Anybody who knows me when I teach will see I always wear my Mickey necklace. My watch is Mickey. My phone is Mickey. Because I knew from very small that what Walt was talking about was soul magic. And it's very important stuff. 
That's beautiful. And um, I've yet to go to Walt Disney World. I've seen that <gasps> they do, yeah, they, they do some wonderful things during the holidays and even for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, it's open. So, you know, I have yet to be there. So one day I will, will no, make no, it. You need to go. And the other thing with the one that I'm doing is it's during the International Food and Wine Festival. How about that? Oh, wow. Is that going to be oh, Disney? Yeah. It is wow. at Disney. It's at Epcot. So in the evenings when they go into Epcot, they can pop in and eat around the world. Beautiful. That sounds awesome. Now, in your uh, studying up on your background, you mentioned certain things. Were there entrepreneurs in your background? Uh, you know, I think my mom... Um, but she never got to re- really do it because she was the, the mom at home. But she had that kind of spirit. Also my grandmother, her, her mom. Uh, but back in South Africa and in those days, you played it safe. And so nobody really went there. Uh, and an aunt also on that side. But here's the, the interesting piece for me is that the entrepreneur in me only came out because my father was killed, because we needed things to happen, because um, all sorts of things contributed to events not working out the way they should have, it was get up and do something or you're going to be in trouble. So instead of what I thought I was going to do, which was relax into being a mom and never mind the medical care profession, I got into this. And the first time somebody said to me, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? I said, I don't know. You'll have to ask one. It never occurred to me that I was. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's just like somebody saying, oh, so when's the next episode of the show to me? And I'm like, what show? What are you talking about? You know? Exactly. You know, and then it was um, actually an author that that asked me that. And, and uh, I, it, you know, some things are blessings. People see things in us that we just don't see because of the stuff we have in our heads. And whether you, people call it divine, you know, talent or, you know, divine guiding, um, how do you find that, that, how do you find your light in the midst of a noisy world when you do have that struggle? Of you know, hey, I want to go to nursing school, or I want to finish my law degree, or I want to become a mom at age whatever. You know, I, I had a, a neighbor who wanted to be uh, a mom, and when I was little, and they're like, oh, she, you know, I'd hear as a kid, uh, she's past her birthday, though she'll probably die at birth. She'll die. Well, she wound up having a healthy baby. There you go. I so, mean, she so just, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. When you're making those choices or you're wanting to make those choices, one of the things I would say is, I want to be a nurse. Okay, who else in your family was a nurse? So is this an unconscious loyalty or is it really, really your dream? If somebody said to you, you're not stupid, you can make the choice you want, make any choice you want, what would it be? That's the one that's really calling to you. Um, and it'll catch you up. You've got to just pay attention to what's happened in your in your life. Um, I can remember at the age of about eight, I said to a teacher, I'm going to be a doctor, and I'm going to work in medicine. And, I, and she said, no, no, sweetheart, you won't. Tracy's going to be the doctor. You're going to write books, and you're going to heal people's hearts, not their bodies. And I went, no, 
So I went into the medical profession and I came out of the medical profession and lo and behold, she may have been right. And by the way, Tracy is a doctor today. Wow. Wow. And for those people who don't know their family line, they may have been adopted, they may have been in foster homes, etc. How does this work for them, your work? It works very well. All they've got to do is say, uh, timeline their own lives. Set out the timeline and look at all the important events and then ask yourself about the decisions you made as a result of that. It could be something as simple as, my teacher said I was an idiot. I decided I was stupid at math. Write those down. When you've got all of those and you can write down the thoughts and the feelings and the actions around that, you'll begin to see that there are patterns. Those patterns came from somewhere. Even if you don't know the origins, you have the effects. So you have that. I want to get back to environment. You come from uh, South Africa and you reside in a, a totally different space and place. And you've probably been in many other places. Where are your surroundings, the people in your life, etc.? Um, one is supportive of you doing what you do, people who are close to you. How did you get around that? I think it was a question of I needed to do something to survive. I spoke about this earlier today. Somebody asked me, how do you know your purpose? And I said, here's the deal. Sometimes it doesn't start out feeling that way. And it didn't mm -hmm. for me. It was, we need money coming in the door because otherwise we're not going to eat. That simple. And I'd seen this and I invested myself in it and just kept going with it. But along the way, what happened, and this is for anybody who's looking for their purpose, instead of it being a slog, I began to ask myself, what could I do with this? What's possible here? What amazing adventure could I have with this work? And that's when it became purpose for me. And at the point that it becomes purpose, it doesn't matter who's yelling in your ear. You're so vested in the purpose that you're going to stay the course. And when you start telling yourself all the good things and you start getting them right, well, then now you've got an adventure that you're not about to give up on. And there is your purpose. Awesome. So it's basically um, something that it, it's not a do or it, it's more than a do or die situation. Um, it, it's um, a guiding force. It is a guiding force. It's also a choose or lose. <laughs> oh, Never mind yeah. do or die. It's choose or lose. You can choose it and invest in it. What you've got to do, the first thing, and you know they say this over and over again, and I used to think if one more person tells me that, I will smack them. You've got to believe in yourself. <laughs> if you can't believe in yourself, believe in what you're seeing could happen and go for it. That's the biggest piece. And keep unfolding it. Successful people, that's all they did, was they kept saying yes and going for it. If you look at Bill Gates... He had a little piece of, of um, engineering or software that he wanted to sell to IBM. IBM said no, so he just kept doing it. So then he decided, well, if they wouldn't take it, he'd create something himself that could accommodate it. And so he did that. Well, then along the way, he thought, gosh, I wonder what it would be like to have one of these in every home. So the more he spoke his language and invested in it, 
the more it kept unfolding. And you will find the same. You say, you know what I want? I'd really like to do quilting. And then you go, what if I made the biggest quilt in the world? Well, now it starts to get exciting. And then you go, and what if I did it with the best fabrics, even if it was just one little piece at a time? Now you're creating an adventure. And when your body and your brain are enjoying the adventure, nobody's going to talk you out of it. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Microsoft. Um, I had uh, one of my early guests, and he's been a reoccurring one, became one of the Microsoft millionaires. He was a kid in school who always had a computer um, when it wasn't Vogue <laughs> to do right. so. And um, he was one of the first people to work with um, uh, Bill Gates and bombers and and he talked about uh you know having that kid within but when you talk about kids they have all kind of things they want to be and they look at you in the eye and they have no doubt that that they could do it i've seen it and i'm exactly sure you've right. seen it they're looking i'm going to be a fireman and i'm going to be a congressman i'm like wow that's deep <laughs> he probably will <laughs> You know? Yes, and if um, you just stay the course with that, you don't let people put you off. It's exactly staying at that kid within and staying with the adventure of whatever you're doing. What's the adventure? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I um, think about a lot of the things that we've talked about today, and what I get back to is environment environment, environment. I've seen people sabotage by that as much as the voices in your head. When do you make that decision uh, in working with someone with this and in, in cracking their code that possibly they may not just mentally but physically have to put themselves in a a, a different spot not just emotionally, but physically. This does sometimes happen. You'll see people who say, I had to leave the family to find myself. What they're saying to you is, right now, physically, if I'm here, those voices are going to become too loud. I need to move so that I can get another voice to have a voice. Uh, so what I look at is, are you drowning in that? But I will say again, you will also see, for, my, for me, the reason I'm doing the work I'm doing was because I had a horrible situation and it was, do you want to drown or you're about to do something about it? And it was a moment of choice. And if in our worst moments and in our best moments we would stop and very mindfully make choices, it changes everything. I've had a couple of situations where I've actually said to myself, stop. Make a very clear decision right now about what's happening because what you choose is about to become your new truth. Be aware. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What actions are you going to take? Awesome. The book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint. This is Judy Wilkins-Smith. And... Uh, the book came out in June. You have other um, personal appearances and whatnot. Do you have a calendar or whatnot we can find on your website of where you're going to be? We're almost at 2023, so I know you've got some things going yeah. on. Yes, I do. It's on my, it's at JudyWilkins-Smith.com. 
And if you go to events, you will find the events already populating. Um, I will be running a four-module course next year. That I think is February, May, June, and I think we're looking at September will be when, at the end of September, will be when we go back to Disney. And people can either take them individually or they can take all four. And what it will probably be is relationship DNA, emotional DNA, leadership DNA, and then we're looking to see what we do at Disney. One of the most popular ones is, is money. So we will see, I've done that a couple of times, people love that because they don't realize that they inherit their money DNA. And that's why they will or won't, can or can't, have a lot or a little. And so that will be up for them. And then, of course, there are also, for anybody who wants to understand a, a, a constellation, I have on my website two constellations meditations. The meditation of the mother and the father. And I co-created those with a, a Grammy Award winning composer and producer. And what we do is we take you into the line of your mother and into the line of your father. And you get to experience that. And then you get to experience a pattern where you may be stuck and how to shift that. So those are just some of the things that we've done and there's more coming. Beautiful. Thanks so much for being with us. And um, we want to have you back. I mean, it would be awesome to see uh, what happens and transpires with this Disney uh, event. Uh, and you say you're going to be back next September at Disney, too? I will be back probably late this, uh, September. It's either late September or November, but it's looking like late September um, at Disney. And, yes, there is always one event there because... If you're going to start a little soul magic, how could you not start with a little bit of magic in the heart of magic? Awesome. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, I had such a good time. And you have to go to Disney World. <laughs> oh, I would love to. You've been listening to the Building Abundant Success with Sabrina Marie. Copyright, November 5th, 2022.